Well, before we jump into our text for today, I, I want to start off by asking you a question first. Who is uh, one person that you know who is vehemently opposed to Christ? The person whom you would say he or she would, would never, ever bend the knee to Jesus. In fact, this person has been fighting against God for so long that you could never, ever picture or imagine that this person would ever change. For they have, they've hardened their heart through their continual hatred of Jesus. We all have someone in our mind, don't we? Mm -hmm. Is that person someone you love? Is it someone close to you? As many of you know, I, I have two daughters. Daughters whom most of you have not met. And part of the reason you haven't met them is is to do with their physical location, right? My, my oldest is a student at Florida State. That's, that's difficult to travel. Um, my, my youngest daughter, she's at Grand Valley. That's a little bit closer. But, but I don't think it's the physical distances that have kept you from meeting them. I think the true distance that, that they have to travel is a distance within their own hearts. You see, they, they've both for whatever reason, have rejected Jesus and have chosen to buy into the lies of this world. And, and they've been on this path for some time now. And as a father, it, to me, it seems like that, that they will never get off this path, you know. I'm sure other parents out there can relate. Um, and as a parent, you know, it, it breaks my heart. And yet when I look at God's word and I, and I read a story like the one that we're about to read, it gives me hope. For, for it is in a story like this where we see the conversion of a man like Saul that we see highlighted just how powerful the saving work of Jesus Christ truly is. Let's, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any Belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has, a, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This sends our reading of God's salvific word. May all who hear it find that the scales have fallen from their eyes. Thus far in the book of Acts, we have only been given a, a glimpse of this man named Saul, who, who would be later, later known to us as Paul, right? Only a tiny glimpse. And, and yet this, this glimpse that we have received is not a pretty picture. If you remember, the first time we, we see him was at the stoning of Stephen. Luke, Luke described him as the young man who, who was watching over the cloaks of those who were doing that dastardly deed as they were snuffing out the life of this martyr. And, and Luke makes, makes note that this Saul was, was giving his approval of this killing. And yet, if, as if that wasn't enough, it was after Stephen's death that, that we see Saul's colors in, in full display. Look, look, look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And there arose on that day a, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In this short text, we are given a, a vivid description of what Saul was like, are we not? And we see that he was a zealous man, willing to go to any lengths in his battle against the church. He, he was dragging people from their homes and, and putting them in prisons. That's pretty extreme, don't you think? But why was he doing this? Why, why was he so opposed to this Jesus movement? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verses 4 and 6. It's, it's there we learn a little something about, about what this Saul was like at this time. L listen to his own words. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You, you see, this, this Saul was a devout Jew. And even though he was from Tarsus, even though he was technically one of those Hellenists, his family had moved back to Jerusalem at a young age. And thus he was raised within Jerusalem by devout Jewish parents. And what's more, he, he, he had also been trained under one of the most prestigious rabbis of the first century, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, who was also known as the people's rabbi. You may remember this man from earlier in the book of Acts. He, he was the one who had advised the Sanhedrin to, to keep away from the apostles, to, to let them alone. For he said if this movement was of man, that it would ultimately fail. But if it was of God, well, then they themselves would be found opposing God. Saul was that man's disciple. He, he had learned from the best of the best. And so when you think about it, Saul had everything going for him, did he not? And he was born into the right family, the tribe of Benjamin. He, he was raised in the right city, Jerusalem. He, he was educated beyond his peers. And, and being a Pharisee, he, he was devoted to God's law. He, he had achieved pretty much all you could have asked for. And that is why he had so much confidence in his own flesh. For in his mind, he had, he had earned God's approval. But that's why when this new sect of Judaism arose, this new offshoot that was called the Way, a sect that was teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has risen from the dead, and that forgiveness can only be found through him, well, this didn't sit too well with this Saul. And that's because the message of Christ, well, it's a message of grace. It's a message of mercy and forgiveness. A message that went against everything that had been ingrained within this man. For according to Saul, salvation cannot be given away, but it must be earned. And that's why we, when we see what we do in our text for today, it's, it becomes baffling. A man who was battling as hard as he could against Jesus Christ, suddenly changing. And yeah, he battled, right? He fought. Look, look once again at Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Here we see that it was now Paul who was taking the initiative in, in this battle against the church. 
No, no longer did he want the Jewish Sanhedrin to take the opinion of his rabbi, right? No longer did he want them to take the defensive approach, simply reacting to what, to what the apostles were doing. Rather, he wanted the, the, the Jewish leadership to go on the offensive. He, he wanted to bring the fight to the church and to bring his form of this holy war outside of Jerusalem's walls. And this is why he's got, he, he got those letters from the high priest, right? In order that he might go to these synagogues with, within Damascus and arrest all those who would claim Jesus as their Lord. And notice the extreme measures that, that he was willing to go to as well. Not only, not only wanting to arrest men, but, but the women as well, right? I mean, such things weren't commonly done in, in matters of this sort. I mean, typically, they would only go after the leadership, who, who would be men. They would have only arrested them in order to quell such a movement. And yet Saul, he, he wanted to go after everyone, the men and the women. He was breathing out murderous threats. What do these murderous threats look like? Well, again, we get a description from Saul's own mouth. Look, look near the end of the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in a enraging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You see, Saul was convinced that he should pursue these people to death. And he viewed himself as being in the right in doing so. In fact, his, his fury burned so hot that he was willing to pursue them to foreign cities as far as Damascus. Now, Damascus was 136 miles from Jerusalem. That would have been a six-day journey for, for this Saul. And, and so you can see the extreme lengths that he would go to in order to destroy the church. If there was anyone, anyone who had set himself firmly against Christ, it was Saul. And that is why what we read next is so, so amazing. Look back again at chapter 9. Look at verses 3 and 4. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Here we have what is known as a Christophany. An earthly visit from the ascended Jesus. And he had come in the, in the form of this blinding light. A light which surrounded Saul, this great enemy of the church. And notice Saul's reaction to this light. He fell to the ground. He fell in fear and in awe. 
This man who had been so bold, so brash, had now been humbled. He had been brought to his knees by the commanding presence of Jesus Christ. And that, and that is when the voice came, right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul wasn't given a single moment to open his mouth. Jesus would be the one to initiate this conversation. And notice as well how Jesus addressed this man. Saul, Saul, he, he stated his name twice. It says, it's as if he was saying, Saul, listen up. And then consider the question that Jesus put forward. Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Now, now think about that question. Jesus was not asking, why do you persecute the church? He was not asking, why do you persecute my disciples? No, he was asking, why do you persecute me? Now, did Saul ever arrest Jesus? Did he ever put him in prison? Did he ever have him killed? Was he there when they crucified him? As far as we know, he, he, he had never had any interaction with Jesus Christ. And so the answer to all these things would have been no. And yet Jesus makes this claim that Saul was persecuting him. How can that be? Here's what's going on here. Jesus, he, he is speaking into the, into the reality of the, the interconnectedness between himself and his church. When, when Christ calls a person to himself, there, there, there is a union that is formed, that, a union that takes place, a, a union between the bridegroom and the bride, a, a closeness that can only be understood on an experiential level. Am I right? It is a surrendered life for the sake of the other. A union that transcends normal boundaries. And so when, when, when Jesus' servants suffer, Jesus suffers with them. There's something extremely comforting about that fact, is there not? In knowing that Jesus is this close to those whom he loves, that he is by their side, even in their darkest hour, that he is that one who is closer than a brother. And yes, even though he, he, allows, he allows you to endure life's pain, how reassuring is it that he endures that pain with you? And this is particularly true for those who are persecuted for his name. He is right there alongside his people, experiencing all the hurt, experiencing all the agony. And this is why he asked Saul the question he did. Why do you persecute me? Because from the perspective of heaven, Saul wasn't just persecuting the church, but he was persecuting Jesus Christ. 
How would Saul respond to such a rebuke? Let's find out. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The flashing light, the, the falling to his knees, as well as the heavenly voice. You know, Saul, he, he knew this was not a normal encounter, right? But they, he had run into the presence of something, of someone greater than him. And that's why he used the word that he did, Lord. Right? He, he knew his Old Testament well enough. He realized that the one who was visiting him at that moment was a heavenly being. But what he does not know was to whom he was speaking. And thus the question, who are you, Lord? Jesus' reply, I am Jesus. In the Greek, ego eimi Jesus. If you know anything about the Greek, that's significant. He, he is declaring the name Yahweh for himself. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. This, this one who was dead but is now alive. I am Jesus. This one who has ascended into heaven and is now ruling upon my throne. I am Jesus, this one who is both fully God and fully man. I am Jesus, this one whom you are persecuting. And I am the one who is now commanding you to get up and to go into that city where you, where you will be told what you must do. You see, whether, whether Saul liked it or not, he was now under the authority of Jesus Christ. And only full obedience would do. And he, here's the thing about a man like Saul. He, he had always been a zealous man, right? And yet zeal without knowledge is a dangerous, dangerous thing. For it can lead to great error. And it can lead to great arrogance. And when you combine error with arrogance... Well, it's not a pretty picture, is it? It becomes the genesis of great harm. I mean, think about Paul's life. He was a Hellenist, right? Just like Philip, just like Stephen. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he had been one of those Jews that Stephen had debated within the synagogues. Do you remember that in Jerusalem? He was going to the synagogues and proclaiming Christ and debating with other Jews. Saul was probably in one of those synagogues, probably debating with Stephen. And most likely Saul was one of the men who had a hand in Stephen's arrest. And we know for certain that he was there at Stephen's trial and at his stoning, right? And so odds are he, he would have heard the gospel preached from the mouth of Stephen on a number of different occasions, and particularly at his trial. And yet this was a message that he despised. And what's more, he, he would have been there that day when Stephen 
had his own vision of Christ. Remember that? When the heavens opened, Stephen saw his risen Savior standing, at the, standing next to the Father. And yet, rather than believing this man, Saul and all the rest of them, they became infuriated, right? They rushed at him. They raged against him. And if you remember, it, it was that vision that, that had really led to Stephen's death. There's more, right? Think, think of this. Saul would have also been there when Stephen had prayed the prayer that he did. Do you remember the prayer that Stephen prayed for those who were murdering him? When, it, when he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Saul would have been right there. He would have heard those words. And now, now Jesus was answering Stephen's prayer as he was visiting Saul. For in a blinding flash, the truth was now finally being revealed to this man. Jesus Christ was now face to face with Saul. I mean, what was going on through Saul's mind at this time? As Jesus was revealing to him the error of his ways. When, when Jesus spoke these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What, what, was he thinking about Stephen? Was he thinking about all the others whom he had imprisoned? Whom he had killed? What was going on in the mind of this man who had now fallen to his knees in a blinding light? Look at verses 7 through 9. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, now these men who were traveling with Saul, they were, they were probably his enforcers, right? Perhaps members of the temple guard, men who would be his muscle in order to bring in those whom he planned to arrest. And yet these strong men were now speechless, right? For they had heard the heavenly sound, yet they did not see anyone. They too knew that something unique was happening. And yet for Saul, it was a good thing that they were there, right? For, for, for his sight had been taken from him. He now had to rely on these fellow travelers to, to lead him the rest of the way into Damascus. And for three days, Jesus allowed this man to remain in his blindness, giving him ample time to mull over all the words that he had heard. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I mean, think about the reason he was, he was coming to this city in the first place. He was there to arrest Christians, to bring a, a violent end to what he considered a false religion. He was the man in charge, right? The one who had all the authority, the, 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 the papers from the chief priests in Jerusalem, and yet now he was sitting there blind and helpless, unwilling to eat, unwilling to drink, 
For he had encountered Jesus Christ, this one who rose from the dead. And because of this encounter, his whole life had been turned upside down. And consider all the guilt and remorse that Saul must have felt knowing that this whole time he had been believing a lie. But not just, not just believing it, but, but basing his whole life around that lie. He, he had caused violence because of it. He had people arrested in the name of it. And what's worse, he had people killed for the sake of it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Again, more words from this man named Saul. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so we see that later on in life, Saul was able to reflect upon his past and realize just how great of a sinner he truly was. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent. He was the foremost of sinners. And there's truth in what Saul writes. For, for he had been a man who was actively at war with Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, there is no viler sin than that. You see, the, the, the greatest sin that Saul was guilty of was the sin of rejecting Jesus. And that's because it's the greatest sin that anyone can be guilty of. Saul was blind to the truth, and in his blindness, he raged against God himself. And I love what he says in verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, part of the reason that Saul was saved was to demonstrate the vastness of God's mercy. For if he could take the vilest of enemies and rescue, rescue him, well, then there's hope for the rest of us, is there not? I think in a certain way, Saul's story is, is our story. 
for we were all at one time or another at war with Jesus. We, we were blind to the truth and trapped in darkness, trapped in the lies of this world. And it is this greatest sin, this sin of rejecting Jesus that would have sent us to hell if God had never turned us to him in repentance, repentant faith, if we had not received the mercy of God. For what does Saul say? But I received mercy. Yes, it, it, it was the mercy of our Lord that came to this man in a blinding light. It was the mercy of our Lord that, that humbled this man and brought him to his knees. It was the mercy of our Lord that called out this man's sin. And it was the mercy of the Lord when he revealed himself to this Saul, when he, when he spoke these words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And yet God's mercy didn't end there, as we'll soon see. Look at, let's read on further in our passage. Look, turn back to Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 10 through 12. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And so here we're, we're introduced to another man, a man named Ananias, another man who receives a vision from Jesus, right? Luke tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus living in this city of Damascus. In fact, he was probably one of the very men that, that, that Saul had his sights on to arrest. And yet Jesus had a task for him. What was the command of Ananias' as king? That he would go and, and find this man named Saul in order to restore his sight well, as you could imagine, this command probably didn't sit too well with Ananias. For Ananias knew all about this Saul from Tarsus, this persecutor of the Christians. Look at, look at verses 13 and 14. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Apparently, this Saul had a reputation, right? He struck fear into the hearts of many Christians, and, and word spread that he had come to Damas Damascus specifically for that reason to arrest those who proclaim Jesus as Lord. And while Christians can and should be bold in their faith when under duress, Christians should also practice wisdom, right? Not, not willingly walking into danger if it's not necessary. And that's why we see Ananias being so hesitant concerning his Lord's command. And I love how, how to Ananias it, it seems that he is presenting new information to Jesus, right? As if Jesus had no clue about this Saul. 
or why he came to Damascus in the first place. I mean, Ananias knew that Jesus knew. Deep down, he knew. But he was afraid. I think we've all been in Ananias' shoes before, have we not? Where, where God has asked us to take a, a step of faith, a, a leap into the darkness, to trust that he has got our back, that he knows exactly what he's doing, even though we have no clue what he's doing. You know, this Ananias, he, he was afraid of Saul. And he had good reason to be afraid of Saul. And yet, Jesus called him to go, to face this man and to restore his sight. Well, Jesus had further instruction for Ananias. Look at, look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and, and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Well, Jesus stood firm in his command as he told Ananias once more to go, right? But, but he didn't just tell him to go without giving him further clarity. Jesus would ease his fears a little bit. And so there were, there were three things, three callings, if you will, that, that Jesus stated about this Saul. One, that, that this Saul from Tarsus would be God's chosen instrument. In other words, Saul is now under my authority. And I will use this man however I see fit. Two, that, that, that Saul would now be tasked with the proclamation of his name. That this man who fought so hard to tear down the church would now try to build it up. He would be Christ's witness to the Gentiles, to their kings, and, and to the Jews as well. That he would now stick out his own neck as he proclaimed the name of Jesus. And finally, three, that Saul would have to suffer for his name. Yes, this, this one who had made so many others suffer would now be on the receiving end of that stick. And we know this to be true throughout Saul's life, as he would later recount his many trials in his letter to the Corinthians, right? Just look at this list. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. Saul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger for, from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger at false brothers. That's a lot of danger, isn't it? In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, Jesus wasn't kidding, was he? 
When, when, when he said to Ananias, I will show this man how much he must suffer for my name, Jesus was not kidding. He was going to drag this man out of his blind stupor and was going to turn him into a champion for his kingdom. And now he was asking Ananias to be a part of that process. Let's see if Ananias would obey. Look at, look at our last three verses. Look at verses 17 through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his sight. Ananias was obedient to the words of his Lord. He went to this Saul in order that he might be healed and that he might receive the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. For we see that immediately when Ananias had placed his hands upon Saul, what happened? The scales fell, right? They fell from this man's eyes and he could see once again. And once again, we are witness to the saving, rescuing, healing power of Jesus Christ. As he brings sight back to this man named Saul. He's capable of doing this whenever and wherever he wants. And that's because he is the king. But Saul wasn't just healed, was he? he, he we, we saw that he was baptized as well. He was welcomed into the kingdom. Remember, remember last week we talked about the Ethiopian eunuch and how he was welcomed into God's community. God's community. How he saw the water. What prevents me from being baptized? So now Saul, this, this enemy against God, this man who was once the greatest enemy of God's people, he had now become a brother. This man who, whom everyone least expected, including himself, was now a fully devoted follower of the way. That, my friends, is the saving power of Jesus Christ. He, he is able to take the very one who is battling hardest against him, and he can turn that man into his greatest advocate in the blink of an eye. Don't tell me that God doesn't have that type of power. Perhaps you are here today, and there is a loved one in your life who has spurned Christ. Someone who, whose mind and, and heart has become so jaded that not only have they rebelled against Jesus, but they have despised his church as well. And they have traveled so far down that road that it, that it doesn't seem that they will ever, ever repent. And though you pray for them, and though you try to speak truth into their lives, those, thing, those things seem to have little to no effect. And so now you are discouraged for your, your heart has been torn in two because the one whom you love is lost and you feel helpless. 
You have no idea how to guide them home. If this is you, I I want you to take a long look at Saul's life. And I want you to take heart. I want you to think about how lost this man truly was. And how Jesus rescued him nonetheless. I mean, this man was a zealous opponent of Jesus. He, He was committed to it, right? Probably more than anyone. And yet out of nowhere, in an instant, Jesus pulled the scales from his eyes and showed him the truth. He did this suddenly and without anyone expecting it. For he is mighty and his saving power cannot be overcome. In fact, there is no power in this world that can stop him, not even a person's own will. If Jesus wants to snatch you for himself, he will do it. But that's because that's how salvation works. It's it's God's choice. It's not our own choice. And if Christ reveals himself to you, then, then you cannot but be saved, right? He will turn your whole world upside down. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, think about it. Saul's encounter with this Jesus, it caused him to change everything about his life, right? His message, his occupation, his friends, where he lived, and most importantly, his life's mission. And so if you are praying for that person, consider Saul's story. For not even the enemies of Christ can overcome the saving power of Jesus. If he chooses to save someone, then that person will be saved. And there is no person who is too far gone that Jesus cannot reach. Even those who are warring against him. And that's because Jesus is the Lord of salvation. But maybe you are here today and it is you who are still battling against God. You who are raging this war. Well, then my prayer is that the scales upon your eyes will will fall. That your eyes will be opened to the truth. That Jesus will reveal himself to you in order that your war with your God will end. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring you peace. He he came to bring you to him. To restore that relationship that, that has been so tense. That has been your battle for so long. He died for you. He took upon your sins for your sake. All to bring you peace. He didn't have to. He chose to. And now he's calling out to you. Open up your eyes to the truth. Trust in me. 
Turn from your sins and trust in me. That's what he's calling you to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you today as a, as a broken people. A people who were once just like Saul. We were your enemies. We were at war with you. And yet in your mercy, you, you sent to us your son to die for our sins so that our warring ways would come to an end and that we would receive forgiveness. And more than that, you, you then called us to yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit that we might believe in you and, and in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so we pray for those who are lost. We pray for those who are still raging against you, that you would take away the scales from their eyes, that they might see your glory, the glory of your Son, and turn to him and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.